Good morning. All right, we're only going to look at one verse this morning. It's my favorite Christmas verse, and we'll spend a few minutes in this as we reflect on the real meaning of Christmas and why we're here and what we're doing and what everything we just read was all about. It's summarized in one saying, as Paul puts it here. And I want you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. And if you have one of our Bibles uh, here that we provide, it's on page 1262. 1 Timothy 1, in verse 15, where Paul writes, The saying is trustworthy... And deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Let's just pause for a moment. Father, we come before you now as we look at this verse and the summarization of the Christmas message and the reason for which Christ came and for which you sent your son for us. And this is the gospel in a nutshell. We just pray that you would open it up to us in these next few minutes, leading us into the Lord's table. And I pray that the gospel would be the power of God unto salvation to everyone in this room. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is a saying, this one phrase here is what we're really going to pay attention to. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. According to Paul, that is a saying, and most likely what he means by that is that in the early church, this was something, some kind of a creed that they would recite from time to time, probably as they were together or in their worship. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and he says that it is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, meaning we can believe it. And so I hope that's what you believe. And I have a way, if you've been here for a number of years, you've probably heard a lot of what I'm about to say. And what I like to do is I break that saying up word by word to kind of show us what he means by that. We'll just spend a few minutes with each one. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And there's really... Uh, four things from that, four ways we're going to break it up. First of all, the promise of a Savior, that's the word Christ, okay, the promise of a Savior. Secondly, the provision of a Savior, that's the name Jesus. So you have the promise, Christ, you have the provision of a Savior, Jesus. Then the pre-existence of the Savior, we'll talk about that for just a minute, that is he came into the world, okay, And then the purpose of the Savior, which of course is to save sinners. So first of all, think about this. That word Christ is, I want you to think about, when you think about the word Christ, it is not a name, okay? It is a title. And I want you to think of the word promise. And in this case, it's the promise of a Savior. The word Christ is his title. It's the title of Jesus. And the word in the Old Testament for this would have been Messiah. I'm sure most of us have heard that term. The New Testament Greek 
term is Christ and Messiah. Those are the same thing. And it means anointed one. You'll remember from probably reading in the Old Testament when uh, somebody would take on a special office. Like when Samuel came in a, and anointed uh, David to be king. They would pour oil over David's head and it was symbolic of God's special anointing over him. Well, what we learn is that throughout the whole Old Testament, there was one promise to the Jews who would be specially anointed by God with a specific ministry from God to be a king and a prophet and a deliverer and a redeemer and a savior who would come. And the whole Old Testament is just tracing that theme of God's promise to save his people all the way through. That's the best way to dive into the Old Testament and begin looking at it is to see where are we in this progression of God's promise to send a deliverer, this Messiah, this anointed one who would... And it begins all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, right after Adam and Eve fell into sin. And God promised right there that through Eve, one would one day come who would crush the head of the serpent. And then the whole rest of the Old Testament is us tracing that promised one, that anointed one all the way through. We learn later then, just as we looked at last week from Genesis 12, that this one would come through Abram, right? And that God would make him a great nation and bless him. And that through him, through his descendant, the one that would come, this Messiah, this Christ, with all the families of the earth would be blessed. And we learn a little later on that it would be through one of Jacob's sons, Judah, and then finally through David, right? King David would have a son who would come, this anointed one who would rule over Israel and deliver them and rule over all of the nations. That's why Matthew 1 verse 1 begins the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Listen, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That this is the one now whom God promised to send. He promised a savior and now he's arrived. And that's our second point, right? The provision of the savior is in the person Jesus. And this is what we are celebrating at Christmas. And this connects Christmas to the whole Old Testament of your Bible. He had promised this savior and now he's saying, I've provided this savior and his name is Jesus. That's why he was given the name Jesus, though at that time it was a common name in Israel. The parents in this case did not have the option of what to name him, did they? Through the angel, they were both told, you're going to, you're going to call him Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. The reason is, is that name means the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation. Here is the salvation that I'm providing. This is the one I promised to send. And guess what? Here he is. Now look to him and believe in him. You know, it's interesting in, in all of the other major world religions, what you have is essentially a self-salvation program that they lay out for you. Do this, follow in this way, Obey these rules and you save yourself eventually. That's how they all work. It's all self-salvation. It's only, only now exclusively in all of the religions of the world. It is only the gospel of Jesus Christ that says God is the one who saves. You do nothing but trust in his provision for salvation, his son Jesus. 
And when you trust in him, he then saves you. That's how it works. Jesus came into this world as a savior. God provided us the savior we needed in his son, Jesus. And that leads me to this next phrase, came into the world. Christ Jesus came into the world. That's the pre-existence of the Savior. You see, that phrase, came into the world, is a loaded statement. It's a loaded phrase. It means much more than what we might initially think about. Because even if we have a child that's born, we'd say, you know, my child came into this world on such and such a day. But this, when it comes to Jesus, yes, the human Jesus was born on Christmas Day. And did come into existence in that sense. But the person of Jesus, that is, who he was, existed long before Bethlehem. As a matter of fact, he existed eternally before Abraham. The gospel, the New Testament specifically, shows us something the Old Testament really didn't show us in detail. It introduces us to God and gives us hints about this fact, but it doesn't flesh it out fully. This very fact that there is one God who eternally existed in three persons, right? This is Christianity 101 here. One God who eternally existed in three co-equal, co-eternal, all-powerful persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what we see at Christmas and what we learn is that in God's plan to provide a Savior, He does it specifically now through the Son, the person of the Son. The Father sends the Son into the world and the Son specifically becomes incarnate, becomes a human being for us. We read this earlier, but I'll read it again. John verse, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, marking us all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So here you have in the beginning, when all, all things are about to be created, you have God, and you have this one with God, but he is also God himself, you see. Here being referred to as the Word, later on many times in John's Gospel being referred to as the Son. So we know who we're talking about. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then verse 14, which I hope is a verse that never ceases to amaze us. The Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. The word through him, uh, through whom and by whom and for whom all things were created becomes flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. It is God the son at Christmas. This is what we are marveling over. We get so used to these stories, don't we? We get so used to these stories, but we need to remember this is breathtaking stuff. The creator of the universe himself became a human being and experienced life as a human in a fallen world just like you and I do with all of the suffering that we experience. 
Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. You see, Jesus was and is a man, truly, completely, fully man, but he is also truly and completely God. He is the God-man. He is the eternally begotten, never made or not made, as we just read earlier, the eternally begotten Son who became flesh and blood just like us. And that in prior, friends, is what we celebrate at Christmas and what should remain remarkable to us and a cause of great worship. You know what's interesting also about all other religions? All other religions have a method or a scheme laid out for you by which you can get to God. I work my way to God. I'll get to Him one day. But it's only in true biblical Christianity revealed in the incarnation at Christmas that this God has come to us. He has come to us to do what is necessary for us. That's true biblical Christianity. So God's saying, I've provided him. He's come into the world. Now you look and trust in him and him alone. And that leads me to the last phrase. Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? To enjoy life, to experience all this world has to offer. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was the purpose. One goal from Bethlehem to Calvary to save sinners like you and me. See, the story doesn't end, does it? The gospel accounts don't end in the first couple of chapters of of Matthew and Luke. There's a lot more territory that was covered because Jesus lived in this world, just as Paul said, Galatians 4, right? Born under the law. He lived as a human being the life you and I cannot and could never live. That perfect, law-abiding, God-loving, neighbor-loving life that you and I cannot live. He was perfect in every way, but yet some 33-odd years after he was born in Bethlehem, he went to the cross of Calvary where he himself bore our sins in his body on that tree. He paid that penalty. He cried out to God for the God-forsakenness. He experienced the penalty that, was, that we deserved and we know we deserved it. Jesus paid that penalty for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We were sinners who deserved punishment from God, but God in love provided his saving son, his savior son who in love lived and died for us. It's as simple as this, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
Friends, is Christmas personalized to you? Do you believe that Jesus is God's provision of salvation for you? Are you trusting in that? Do you believe that he came to to save you, a sinner? And this is the purpose for why he came. And this is the reason he lived. And this is the reason he died. And praise God, we can't detach Christmas from Good Friday. And we can't detach Christmas from Easter. Because they all go together. That this incarnate Son of God is still the incarnate Son of God, but risen and glorified and reigning in heaven, and He will save anyone, anyone in this room, who will look to Him in faith and call upon His name. This is what He promises. If you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, this could be the morning where in your mind and heart you just turn to Jesus And cry out to him and receive that gift, the best Christmas gift, friends, you will ever receive. And that is the gift of eternal life and the forgiveness of your sins. Call upon Jesus now. You could be, this could be marked in your memory forever of not just celebrating the birth of Jesus, but celebrating your own new birth. As God on this morning caused you to be born again through faith in his son. That's why we celebrate Christmas, Christian. This is why we keep it every year. We observe Christmas, not because it's not, yes, slipping into, oh, secularism and all of its problems, but because through it all, the gospel is still present, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And this is why As well, we celebrate the Lord's table as we're going to turn to in just a minute. That bread representing his body, real human body. That cup representing his blood, the real blood that was poured out on Calvary for our sins. Let me just pause now. I'm going to pray. We'll seal this message for you and then we'll turn to the Lord's table. Father, we praise you for sending your son. We are sinners. We confess that. We deserve nothing but punishment. And yet you in your grace and love has provided salvation for us. We pray that it would be for each person in this room. Awaken minds and hearts to the truth of the gospel. Grant the gift of repentance and belief. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.